Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah they thought was coming. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. On January the 9th, it's going to be Steve's last sermon as our senior minister. So I hope that in the, the weeks to come, you will be here. And especially on January the 9th, please be here um, to learn from him, to honor him, to celebrate the way that he and Diana have led and served this church for the last 35 years. And then that afternoon from three to six o'clock here in this room, we'll have a reception for them. So please join us for that. Good morning. What a difference a year makes, wouldn't you say? I mean, last year at this time, uh, there weren't office parties, and uh, families were wondering if they should meet or not. Uh, There were friends and family members that were dying alone, and we were grieving because of that. Uh, The church staff was struggling with whether to have Christmas Eve services or not. We decided to do it and do it as safely as we could. Nevertheless, 12 of us on staff got covid And Todd Dillon on our staff ended up being in ICU for a time. I mean, it was a weird Christmas. It was like we, almost like we skipped Christmas. A few years ago, John Grisham wrote a novel entitled Skipping Christmas. It became a movie called Christmas with the Cranks. Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis starred as the couple. And it was a pretty lame movie, really. Uh, but the story was about, um, you know, Jamie, Lou, uh, Jamie Lee and her role was a wife who was very nostalgic about Christmas and wanted to enjoy it. On the other hand, her husband, Mr. Crank, I mean, he just, he was fed up with everything that, that involved Christmas. All the rush and the buying, and he wanted to go on a cruise and just skip Christmas. And so that's what they did, which really irritated their neighborhood because they were trying to win the contest for the best, best decorated street. Well, obviously, they weren't going to be a part of that. They also ticked off all the nonprofit organizations that usually the cranks supported at Christmas. They didn't buy the Christmas tree to support. They didn't buy the embossed Christmas cards and the other things. They just skipped Christmas. You know, when you come to the Gospels of Christ, we have four biographical sketches of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called, of course. And I want to take you to Mark's Gospel because it's a, it's a different one. And one you never hear preached at Christmas time. There's a reason for that. Now, let's pretend that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are four houses on the same street, And you're going out to just look at decorations one night. Let's just go see. And so you drive down, and there's Matthew's house. And Matthew is decked out. I mean, Mary and Joseph are there. But the unique thing about Matthew is he's the one that wants to decorate about the Magi. He's the one that tells us about the Magi. And and his theme is Jesus as king. And so he's got the Magi in his yard there. They've got these precious gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there's this grand star over the house. And everybody just is agog at the the star. Man, it is a great looking house decorated. And then there's there's Luke's house nearby. Luke's house is equally as grand. He's got 
Elizabeth and Zechariah and the celebration of their baby that's miraculously born because Elizabeth's past childbearing years, but God enables her to have a child, John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus. He'll be born a few months before Jesus is born. And there's on the other side of the lawn, there's Mary and Joseph, and the shepherds are there. There's angels in the sky. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. And there's John's house. Well, John doesn't have any characters. There's no Mary and Joseph, and there's no magi. There are no shepherds, no angels. But boy, does he have the lights. I mean, there are lights everywhere. He's the one in chapter one that says that, 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 that he was the life. And in that life was the light of all mankind. He was the light of the world. He said the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overpowered it. John's all about light. And then you got Mark's lawn. Ah, must be a Jew that lives there. Or an atheist, you know, or an agnostic, or a Scrooge. I mean, there's a bare lawn. The neighbors are so disappointed. There are no lights. There's no nativity. There's no joy to the world. And it's intriguing to us. This is a, this is a biographer of Jesus. And there's no decorations and no story about Jesus. It's almost as if Mark is, well, skipping Christmas. When he writes, he begins... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. Then nine verses later, Jesus makes his appearance, and he's fully grown. We don't have anything about 12 years old in the temple, nothing about his presented. So Simeon and Anna can say something about the consolation of Israel coming, and they can die in peace. Nothing about Mary and Joseph. You know, just, he's, he's, a, he's a grown man. And that, it, it intrigues us. So let, let we go back to the neighborhood, and we just can't get over Mark. And so we walk up a sidewalk, and it, it doesn't look like anybody might be home. So we're going we're gonna to peek in his windows. And when we look in Mark's window, we see all these snapshots that are hanging all over the walls. There's, there's the, all kinds of snapshots from Jesus' ministry. There is John right there in chapter 1 that's baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. That's a cool picture on the wall. And we have Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and Jesus preaching his first sermon, and Jesus calling his first disciples, Jesus healing a man with an unclean spirit at the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons, preaching in Galilee, healing a, lipo, a leper. Jesus is on the move in all these snapshots. All oh, that's just in chapter 1. All these postcards, all these framed little pictures that give us a glimpse into Jesus. And as we examine them, there are three takeaways that we have. One is that Jesus is the Messiah who's anticipated but not expected. The remnant of Jews knew that this Messiah was to come. They, they looked forward to him. In fact, even the casual Jew who wasn't practicing or wasn't very good at practicing knew that the Old Testament had predicted his coming. Um, and, and John the Baptist had been telling everybody that he, he's, he's, it's close at hand. He's going to show up. He said, after me comes he who is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hopeful words to every Jew who heard them and were tired of living under Roman rule. They looked forward. They had, they had anticipated this Messiah to come, but, but not this way. Not this way. They didn't understand that before he was a, their conquering king, he would be their servant. This wasn't the kind of Messiah they thought was coming. He didn't look like, like one he was going to lead, lead troops and, and, and overtake Roman rule so Israel could be free again. He didn't look like that kind of conquering king at all. So the Jesus that emerges in Mark's gospel is anticipated, but not expected this way. The second takeaway is that Jesus is the Messiah who is mysterious, but not unknowable. And so out of nowhere, Jesus appears. He's baptized by John. The heavens open. A voice from heaven speaks. The spirit descends on him. And then what does he do? He goes and hides in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. 30 years go by before he ever does or says anything. He finally comes on the scene, and then he disappears for over a month. How mysterious. There, Satan attacks him, but he is no match for the Messiah, of course. And then Jesus starts healing people. At the beginning, he said, Shh, don't tell anybody. What? God, Jesus, you got, you, you've got to get, get, your, get the word out. No, no, don't tell anybody yet what, what I've done for you. So he, he, he goes off by himself, and uh, the disciples get up in the morning. They can't find him. They're looking for him. Finally, they did. Jesus had been praying in the hillside, and he's, they say, everybody's been looking for you. And he said, mm, nope, no more time for healing here. I got to go preach over there and there and there. So he walked away from real human need to do what he came to do, and that is teach and preach and proclaim why he came. So this was so mysterious. He is mysterious, the way he functions, the way he works, but he's not unknowable. He spends some time with people, then he notices the crowd. He sees 12 different guys who are particularly intrigued by him, and they're hungry for him. And he said, why don't you, why don't you just leave your nets Leave your family and just come spend time with me. And they do. And the crowds start thronging to him. They start hanging on his words. And everyone is welcome to him. Both dogs and children seem to have, be a good judge of character. I don't know if dogs followed Jesus. But kids did. And later when Mark is writing, he he writes about all these kids coming to him and the disciples. Oh, I'll keep the kids away from me. I don't know. Uh, uh, keep the kids away from the Messiah. And, and Jesus, no, 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 no. I want the kids. He, he, he invited everybody to come to him. We see all these pictures of him and children. And those that come to him, he will in no way send out, send away. That's not my word. That's what Jesus said. And the third takeaway is that Jesus is the Messiah who is authoritative, but not unsympathetic. And usually people who are authoritative aren't very sensitive people. They're distant people. They tell you what to do and how to live and where to go. They're not, they're not empathetic people, but that's not true of Jesus. The crowds marveled, the Bible says, that that. He was one who taught with, uh, with, with authority. 
not like one of their religious leaders. The demons departed at his word and diseases shriveled up at his word. Hardened fishermen like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they left their family and their jobs to follow him. Yet at the same hot time, he took, he took Peter's mother-in-law's hand, gently raising her up and casting out the fever she was so sick with. And immediately she began to serve those in her house. He extended his hand and his empathy to the leper who was so untouchable, so unapproachable. But not to Jesus. Even though he spoke and moved with such authority, he also was tender and he touched those lepers and he cleansed their bodies. That man was instantly healed. No wonder the Hebrew writer was inspired to write later, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet who is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help for to help in time of need. We love these snapshots. And that, as, we, as really we look around the room of Mark's house and we see there the focal point comes into view. And it's right over the mantle where most focal points are in our rooms above the fireplace. And it's a, it's a different picture it's a picture of, um, of Jesus as a servant, as Jesus doing something where he's blessing somebody. He's always blessing people. And, and this particular focal point is about him saying to his disciples, after he warns them of his impending death, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Before he takes his throne for eternity, he will, he will become a servant. So, so to do that, he became one of us. While Mark doesn't go into details of how Jesus became one of us, he spends one-third of his gospel detailing how he suffered for us. Mark skipped Christmas, but he didn't skip why Christ came. Christ came to die that we may live. Now, because of that, individually and institutionally, we are called to be servants. You know, what becomes wearisome sometimes regarding Plainfield Christians' testimony in this area is that we're the big church on the corner. And how much better would we if we'd be known for other things? That we'd be known for other reasons that supersede the big church on the corner, like being servants of God and servants of the community in which we live, where we operate, the neighborhoods we're in, the schools we go to, the colleges we attend, the marriages we live, the way we deal with our children, the way we, we, we get involved with school activities and sports activities, the way, because we're always serving. Those, those Christians, man, they're always serving somebody. That church is always doing something for somebody. That's the church we want to be. Here's a few things we've done this year in 21. You've heard some of them today. Uh, financial relief for 23 families this year. The Congolese service, of course, we provided space for them to keep growing. 80,000 you gave to the 
for community initiatives through the Love Your Neighbor Fund. Uh, three cars were donated by you to homeless families through Family Promise. Over 180 volunteers served almost 2,000 years uh, meals at our community Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, over $10,000 worth of Christmas gift cards were given last Sunday to you to give to people who could be encouraged. Let's double that next year. How about that? Let's give 20000 away next year. Over 1,000 have visited the treehouse this year during play hours during the week, 90% not connected to us. Over 900 registered at the treehouse, as you've heard, over half not from PCC. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just peanuts yet. There's so much more we need to do, and individually as well. Out of the overflow of hearts, when Jesus came, he came to die. But in coming to die, he couldn't help but be involved in human need. And so as we're being transformed to look like Jesus, that's how we're to live as well. That we have to get involved in human need and be prepared for him when he comes back. We're to be like Jesus. And we must do all of these things in the name of Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus, and in view of the fact that Christ Jesus is coming back. And remember our study of Revelation? We know we're going to be judged according to what we've done with our lives. Not only that... Thankfully, we are washed by the blood of Christ, but he's also going to be looking at what things in our lives are like gold and silver and precious gems, not just wood and hay and stubble that's going to burn up in judgment fire. He wants the things that, that are done in his name that last, that, that meaning that are rooted well. The next time he comes back, then he's not going to come back to serve. He's going to come back to reign forever and ever. Last week, Luke read a long portion of scripture. His, here's an excerpt of that once again in Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of, a rushing, of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's what we're doing, friends. Now, some things we've learned in Revelation are pretty hard to grasp. But when we read this, when we read about the fall of Babylon, the overthrow of the false prophet and the beast and the dragon, and when we behold this great white horse and the rider and his robe dipped in blood and written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, there can be no doubt what we are seeing can be understood. It is nothing less than the great triumph and the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, a victory in which we shall surely participate when he comes that day. Once Jesus was despised and rejected of men, in the coming hour, every knee will bow, yours and mine. Once men railed against him with their tongues, on that day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Once he responded with silence, 
and that hour his voice will rock and shake the foundations of the earth. Once the spiritually blind refused to see, but on that day, every eye will see him. Once they put a robe on his back that was bloodstained and they mocked him. In that hour, he will come robed in holiness and righteousness, the garments of a triumphant atonement. Once 12 humble men followed him about, but on that day, the whole company of angels, myriads of angels, uh, millions upon millions of angels will follow him in his train and we shall join them. Once they pressed a crown of thorns on his head and brow, but in his glory, he will wear many crowns on his head and we will be there to worship him. Once they brought him to be dead, they thought him to be dead forever. Instead, he rose from the dead and he sits at the right hand of the father and the whole earth is his footstool, the Bible says. And on that day, honor and glory will be given to him and he will reign forever and ever. This passage is the declaration that all wrongs will be right. This rider on his great white horse, crowned with many crowns, will come and he will execute perfect justice. I have often found that many people would like to skip Christmas. Maybe you feel that way this way. You can feel that way when it's the first Christmas after your spouse died or you had a miscarriage or your grandmother or your, your mother died and the family gathering's not going to feel the same or when you have a, a son or a daughter in prison and you don't feel like celebrating or when you've gone through a divorce and the pain is still raw, or, or when you want to spoil your kids and the money just isn't there to do it, and you don't want to disappoint them. Or you're going through a health crisis and it makes you wonder, I wonder if I'm going to be here next Christmas, and you're not sure. Or when you, you just, you're going through a mental, mental health crisis, and, and you have things going on in you that maybe nobody knows about. You just know all this celebration is going on, and you don't feel it, and your mind is not thinking clearly and right, and you're dealing with depression and trying to go through the motions, and you just wish it were January 1st. You know, when you celebrate Christmas with Mark, he'll teach you that it's okay sometimes to skip Christmas. You can skip Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the Magi and the shepherds. It's okay to skip Christmas caroling and Christmas movies and Christmas food and celebrations. You can skip it all, and, and, and it wouldn't be a sin. You know, how Jesus came was a miracle. Why he came was mercy. How he came was under a star. Why he came was to bear our sins. How he came is a matter of history. Why he came is bound up in prophecy. How he came was quietly and humbly, like a servant. Why he came was to pay our ransom for sin. How he came and why he came are wound together. John makes it very clear to us who it was that came. 
this one who is the great I am. He made it clear. Matthew and Luke will always gladly tell you how he came. But Mark is always anxious to tell us why. We don't know the future. I hope in our lifetime we'll never have to deal with another pandemic and suffer through it. But there may come a time in the pains of your life you will feel like skipping Christmas, and that's okay. But never, ever, ever skip Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.